The following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. 1 Thessalonians 1-10 through 10. To the Church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. God bless the reading of the word. With that, um, quick review. Do any of you in here remember, I know we said it for six straight Sundays, any of you guys remember the definition of joy that we gave that you would stand up and share it with us right now? Anybody? Or anybody have it in your notes so you can cheat um, very quickly? The definition of joy. Anyone? All right, very good. Anybody have another piece? Yes. All right. Praise the Lord. Thank, thank the Lord for the journal. Yes. For the memorized, for the oral tradition and the written tradition of Scripture. To that we give great praise. Um, all right. I, I don't want us to lose sight of this because so much of why we gather revolves around action. Like we are getting together to make a choice. And it's not necessarily going to be instinctual all the time for us to just want to be here and to do what we're doing. But our faith in our relationship with Jesus Christ, if we're truly growing and progressing, is a conscience effort on our part to take intentional steps, no matter what our circumstances are, to say Jesus is Lord over all things. And that's Jesus is Lord over all things when everything is just going great And that is Jesus over all things when it seems like we don't want to answer the phone because every time we pick up the phone, there's something negative being spoken towards us. And so it's just like, what in the world are we to do is we need to consider with our minds what is true, and then we walk based upon what is true, not based upon what circumstances dictate to us. Does that make sense? So now we're getting introduced to this church in Thessalonica. I want to come back. I love the way that Eugene Peterson translated some of these words for his church uh, here in Hartford County when he was serving the church here. He actually wrote these words to them. It's translated into the message um, that's one of the choices in your electronic Bibles. But when you look at the first verse, it says, I, Paul, together here with Silas and Timothy, 
that is a powerful introduction. Think about three people that you respect highly. Let the names come to you. Write them down in your journals. And imagine in your midst of hanging on to your faith, those three monumental, life-giving people to you take time to write you a personal letter. That's this letter. These men loved deeply the people in Thessalonica. They were loved deeply by the people in Thessalonica. And then he goes on, we're sending greetings to the church in Thessalonica. Christians assembled by God the Father and by the Master, Jesus Christ. God's amazing grace be with you, with an exclamation point, and God's robust peace be with you. That's how Eugene Peterson translated that for his church. And I love this. He says that the Christians were assembled by God the Father and by the Master. Now, I want you to think about this in much more of a spiritual tone than just thinking that God was standing on the street saying, hey, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. Like, I'm gathering you up for a purpose. This is more than a let me see who's the willing. This goes back to what I shared last week in the Genesis narrative of God getting down into the dirt and bringing that dirt together and manicuring it to look like us and then breathing life into it so that the church could then just stand up. This is the spiritual act of what Paul and Silas and Timothy were looking at when we reflected on these people. You were like this hand of God just moving through Thessalonica, coming to you, forming you, shaping you, and then miraculously breathing life into you, and you just stood up. That's the posture of this letter. And I hope that today we can kind of learn a little bit from all of that. And so in Acts chapter 17, you hear this story. Um, You'll find in Acts 17 that Paul and Timothy and Silas were, were literally just a month in. It talks about three Sabbaths that they had had, and God-fearing Jews began to follow after Jesus, and a, it just says a buttload, that's my translation, of Greeks decided to come together. So this massive amount of non-Jews and this group of Jews in one month, dedicated themselves to the work that God was doing there. The first church was formed there. And I want you guys to understand this. That first church was formed in a Greek city that had Greek worship, that had multiple gods and multiple gods and practices of worshiping those gods. It had its own economy. It had its own daily rhythm. And these people, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, show up, and in one month, They shared the hope found that Jesus was Lord over all, not Caesar. And a large gathering of people within a month said, that's true. And they didn't just say it with their mind. They said it with their life. And they began to move in a way that, as we read through Acts chapter 1, listening to Andrew read through that, that that they were, were flourishing. And Paul sees that. But what ended up happening in Acts chapter 17 is that a group of non-Messianic following Jews, people that were rejecting Paul's message that Jesus was the Messiah, decided that what Paul and Silas and Timothy were doing was evil, 
and went to the Roman ruler of that area and said, they're saying Jesus is king, but we know Caesar's king. What are you going to do about it? And they couldn't find Paul and Silas and Timothy. So they imprisoned a guy named Jason who was housing them and brought Jason in. And then they started making accusations against him. Look, he's housing these people that are saying that Jesus is king and not Caesar. And then they made him pay a huge bounty, according to Acts 17, to get his own freedom. They had to pay a bond just to get out. And so now you find that the church is just like, wait a minute, everything was great. We were turning to Jesus, and now everybody around us is turning against us. And that was the, the, the tension that this letter was written. So much so in Acts 17, the transition of the chapter happens when Paul and Silas and Timothy are being run out of town. Um, in the middle of the night because they didn't want them to be killed, and so they were, the church was forcing them away. So now imagine this group of people that loved Paul and Timothy. They were like, man, the scriptures say that beautiful are the messenger's feet that brings good news. You know, imagine them falling in love with this group, these group that's sharing with them every Sabbath and in their homes throughout the week about the great love of God, and they're feeling it in their spirit, and now Paul and them are being run out, and they're watching them leave in the middle of the night thinking, now what? We just lost our teachers. And so within a couple of months, they now get this letter. This is like they've just been gone for a few weeks, and they're now hearing things that Paul is saying back to them, representing Timothy and Silas as well. And so I want you guys to understand that they had not come to faith by accident. And I think it's really important because this was a part of the world where it was a major seaport. It was a major um, economic, cultural, world emphasis city that was extremely important. And I want to come back to the intentionality of God and his hope being shared with them. So let me just ask you this. Do you feel like that you're here hearing about Jesus accidentally? Or do you feel like that you're here because you believe in Jesus because it's actually, there's something important that God wants you to do? Like you've been redeemed in Christ. You're aware of your salvation. You're aware of forgiveness of sin. You're aware of all the things that are true in Jesus Christ. And it's not just washed over because it's been given out to others. Your portion is still phenomenal but yet others are invited, but God has something incredibly important. Why else would you believe in Jesus? He, you believe in Christ because he has something important for you and I to do. And so, could you imagine then seeing Paul write you a letter saying, I'm praying for you. In the midst of the persecution, in the midst of the heartache, in the midst of the pain, Paul sends a letter to them, and literally he has, um, I'm not the best grammatical person, but I take a lot of hope in Paul, because he doesn't write with excellence in regards to the literary way. He obviously followed the Spirit, but he has a run-on prayer for three chapters. <laughs> he starts out by saying, let me just tell you, I'm talking to the Father about you, and then he just chases something, and then he comes back, and I'm continuing my prayer. And then he chases something, and he's like, and then I'm praying. And then he gets to the end of the prayer in chapter 3, and then he pauses from that prayer, and then he gives us another prayer. 
And then he talks some more, and then he ends in prayer. So you have this run-on sentence prayer at the beginning, a prayer, a transition in the middle, and then an ending prayer for all the things that he just said. And this is how Paul writes this letter that we're going to be experiencing this summer. But imagine you in your deepest spiritual frustration, knowing, according to this, that there have been people that have been dying, and it doesn't say the reasons for all of it, but I can imagine some of it was by the hand of people, um, others probably from illness and other reasons, but he's saying to them, look, I'm praying for you. But then he goes on to share with them how he has seen them demonstrate. Look, one of the best analogies I could come up with was we taught our children not to just say, I'm sorry. We taught our children to say, please forgive me for. Okay, you understand? This, like some of, Guys, we're really bad at I'm sorry. Like if it, that should just fix our mess ups. But I have found that when you look somebody in the face and you say, please forgive me for backing into your car or please forgive me for speaking to you in anger, you know, being very strategic in our ask of forgiveness, it goes a lot better because then the person is aware of what you're thinking and what you're truly repentant for. And here, I love, Paul makes it adamantly clear to this church what he's proud of them for. He doesn't just say, I'm proud of you. Because most of you would be like, that's nice. Could you tell me more? <laughs> like, really, what am I doing that's making you proud of me? Because he goes on to say to them what I love, which is straight out of what he told the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 13. He says to them, you have excelled in your faith. You have been demonstrating love. And you are living in the hope of Christ's return. Three very specific things. And he even ends the chapter talking about spiritual gifts and the body of the church and how it's all working together. And he says to them that faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. And he says that to them. And so when you get to the root of our faith, according to Paul, as he's talking to the early church, what are the three foundational stones and the pillars of what he was trying to evaluate the healthiness of the church? Their faith in the midst of persecution, their love in the midst of persecution, and their hope in the midst of persecution. So he's measuring them not based upon how well they act on their good days. He's measuring them by how well they're acting on their bad days. And he's looking at this church saying, I could not be more proud of you. You're excelling at these things. So let me ask a question of us. Do we display in us the simple signs of life? The simplicity of a life following after Jesus is faith, hope, and love. Where are we weak? Where am I weak? Like, am I, am I struggling in my faith today? Am I struggling in my ability to love today? Am I struggling in my ability to wait patiently? I love this. Faith really means thinking about the gospel and bringing our minds and wills in line with it. That's what faith is. Faith is that if it's true about Jesus, then let me line everything else up with it. It doesn't say, let me line everything else up in my life and now let me insert Jesus. It says, because of the cross and the message of hope and the eternal love of God, that if things are going well for me, it's Jesus. Jesus, how do I hear you through this storm? Father, what do you want me to do in the midst of this? I'm anchored on you. That's faith. That's what he's commending them for. Then he's saying to them, Love is the very practical thing that you do with your life. 
It requires all types of work. Can I, under, can I get you to understand this? Love is just not a natural response for us. It is not. Let me just say it this way. Because of Uber, I am grateful there are less taxis in Baltimore. Let me just say amen. Okay? But when I'm on the roads of Baltimore, I used to get upset at the yellow cars. Now, when my car is perfectly clean and I pull up to a stop sign or a stoplight and people start spraying my car to wipe my windows and my window is perfectly clean, can I just tell you this? My response is not love. I don't feel love boiling up in me. Oh, I'm so grateful these guys are using broken squeegees to streak up my windows. <laughs> I'm not, that's not, that's not my, what I think. I'm not thinking, um, you know, what is the backstory of this child and why are they doing this and is it good reasons, bad reasons? I'm sitting there thinking, I wish I had a spray bottle. I mean, it'd be like a super soaker, like, it's on. I mean, that's where my brain goes. Have anybody in here done that? Thought it? Am I not the only one? Please don't leave me here. You might not go with me to Patterson Park in a couple of weeks, but don't leave me hanging in this illustration, right? Because so often what we want to do in our natural human response is, ah, that's what we want on so many occasions. And depending on our personalities, it, it's slower for some of us and very quick for others of us. But Paul was saying to them, I've watched you, and your response to people's hate has been love. Your response to violence has been love. Your response to all of the circumstances around you has been love. And then he says to them, your hope, man. He's like, you have been incredibly patient in your rescue. That's what hope is. Hope is knowing that it is going to be done but yet having to wait for it to be done. And so we know that there is an incredible, like we have been ransomed and we have been freed from captivity, but our ransomer has not come taken us by the hand yet, physically, and made everything new. So we write songs about you can make things new. That's a song written from hope. It's not written necessarily from all of our experiences because some of us are like, God, what can you make new? And we're blinded by the troubles of this world. And so our faith is rocked. Therefore, we stop loving and we struggle with hope. And so find here that Paul is saying to them, man, I am just amazed at your patience and your faith and your practice of love and your living in hope. And so back to the question, do we display in us these three simple signs of life? And then he goes on, verse six, and he says, you became imitators of us and the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Do you guys hear that? The joy given by the Holy Spirit. They were baptized in persecution. They were swimming in it, but yet they were finding joy. They would go from a funeral of somebody that had been taken from them, whether through violence or through sickness, and yet they were still praising the Lord in faith, hope, and love. And then it goes on, verse 7, and so you became a model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Like, he's like, look, you guys were new at this, but you became the example to everybody. And the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. And that's why we entitled this particular teaching, Passing It On. I had the privilege with my kids when we lived in Manhattan in the fall of 2007 to get tickets to the Lion King on Broadway. 
Anybody in here been there to see it? Oh, there's more of you raising your hand now. <laughs> How many of you are going to help me at Patterson Park on June 29th? <laughs> but we had a chance to go to see Lion King. And can I tell you this? Phenomenal. It was beyond anything that I had ever experienced in my entire life. And if you were around me in that season of life, you would have known because I wasn't, I didn't care about being a spoiler to you that hadn't seen it. I couldn't help but talk about the drums that were in the walls, the orchestra underneath the stage and how they erupted triumphantly. And I don't know any other words to talk about music to abbreviate, just to talk about the sheer power that came from this. But then the costuming, oh my, holy smokes. I mean, what do you say when giraffes actually come walking out on the stage, you know, and they look like a giraffe? It's not like a kid in a kindergarten outfit, and you're like, what is he? You know? I mean, there was, there was no denying the fact that the animals were the animals, and the adults on the stage were the adults, and the, you, could, you could hear it all, you could see it all. It was, you were just like, I just left, I just was telling everybody, you, I don't care if it costs $300 for you to go, but you need to go, you need to see this miraculous wonder, and, and it was just, it was, I, I spoke, about, I'm still speaking about it, from 2007, and it's the same way, like I felt so bad for my daughter and my son at school because, because of our family and our flow of life, we've always seen all the Avenger release movies together as a family, and we've kind of held to it for a decade. It was like the thing the princes did, which, mind you, don't judge, all right? It's like simple pleasures in life and ministry, but we finally were getting a chance to go, but yet it was like two weeks after the release, and it was like three days before the spoiler things were lifted off of social media, and so my kids were going to school at the university and at high school, and people were spoiling episodes left and right. They were like walking down down the hallways, saying, like, my kids knew characters that were no longer going to be alive at the end before we went, and so I said, don't tell me, though, <laughs> right? But when I came out of the film, let me tell you this, it was hard for me not to talk to people. Like, I had to say, have you seen it? And then if they did, it was like, Bleh. I just like, man, it was like, when Captain America, did, you know, it's like, I'm like, it was just, it was just so good that I had to talk about it. Now, this is what's happening in this letter People were so overwhelmed by meeting the people in this church. I'm not talking about the people in the church being so excited about Jesus that those people couldn't help talk about it because they were that way, but I'm talking about a whole nother level. It's like if the church of Thessalonica was on this stage, the people off the stage looking at them were like, have you seen these people? Have you been with these people? And, they're, and then they're like, have you been with those people those people are talking about? And then have you been with those people that have been with those people that have been with those people? And it's just spreading across the region all because the people on this stage were determined that they were going to be strong in their faith, determined to love, and that they were going to keep their eyes fixed on the eternal perspective, their hope in Jesus, and no matter what happened to them, they were going to be strong in that. Even when their leaders were run off, they were going to be strong in that. They had no theological understanding, no background. They were just being empowered by the gift of the Holy Spirit, and they were overwhelmed with what they knew, and they were determined to live it out, and the people watching them were like, do you see those people? Now imagine what Baltimore would be like if you and I had such incredibly contagious faith, hope, 
in love that people were like, have you seen those people? That's what we're hoping this summer is going to be for our church family. As we go through 1 Thessalonians and we walk through, I want you to know, they disciplined themselves. Not a popular word unless you're dieting or exercising in our culture today or you're looking to get a, a, a promotion at work so you're disciplining yourself to get the promotion. But if we start talking about disciplining your personal behavior, we generally would draw from that type of discussion. It's in the letter. We're going to talk about it. But the thing that I'm hoping for, did you see in this passage that Paul was saying to them, he was blown away by how strongly they were convicted? He's like, the conviction that you felt was almost beyond anything he had seen before. And conviction, according to this Greek word, is that they were going in this direction and decided that they needed to now go in this direction. They didn't make a 360-degree turn. They made a 180. And so that means that they walked away from all of the practices and the cultural norms that they were headed, and they decided that Jesus truly was Lord, so we're going to shed off anything that this Lord claimed, and we're going to take on everything that this Lord claimed. And so Paul, because he didn't get to teach them fully, is now with Timothy and Silas' help writing them a letter to say, let me just keep continuing the conversation because we want you to walk in faith, we want you to walk in love, we want you to walk in hope, and we know that one of the things that's going to trip you up is your discipline. You're going to be tempted to go back to the way everybody else does things, and you need to be forward-thinking. So let me ask a couple of questions. How much do we talk about the Lord Jesus Christ? And then in response to that, how much do others talk about our love for the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you ever walked up onto somebody talking about your faith in Jesus? Could we not make that as like a spiritual goal this next year? Is that you walk into a room where people have been talking about your faith in Christ and you're like, I like people talking about me that way. Not like I'm ashamed of that or I don't want anybody saying anything to me. But what would it look like if we could start a wave of that? So here's, here's what I think. Let me give you this example, and it's really stupid. I'm going to tell you that ahead of time. But it's dad day. So here's a dad illustration. Um, some of you are like, what's he going to say? <laughs> you know, there's this huge movement for the earth, which I think we need to be a great steward of. But imagine if Baltimore was the first city to say... We're not driving cars anymore. We are done. And everybody took their car somewhere, parked it, left it, and everybody came back in the city. There's not a bus, praise Jesus. There's not a, a taxi, an Uber. There's not a car. There is no vehicle movement at all in Baltimore. It is solely us on foot or bikes or whatever else we would invent to get us around, right? But there's no, no, there's no, there's no water taxi, nothing burning gas or fuel. How long would it take for the national news to show up here? How long would it spread across Maryland and into Pennsylvania and Delaware and Jersey and New York and to China, other places around the world, if everybody, 600,000 people just said, we're not driving anymore. We're going we're gonna to do it a different way. It would spread like wildfire. People would be talking about it, even if they didn't agree with us. And they were like, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, whatever. But yet, 
we were saying, this is what, this is what God wants us to do, and we're going to do it. The church in Thessalonica did something similar. I don't know how to describe it. But they were so compellingly different, living in such a way that other people could not help but talk about them across the entire region. And Paul writes them this letter, and he's telling them, let me, let me verbally tell you how I'm thanking God for you. This is what he's saying to them. I want you to know, when I talk to God, this is what I'm saying about you to God. And that's, imagine, that's what Paul is doing here. And then he's through his thanksgiving to God for them, now trying to encourage them to keep their faith, their love, and their hope and stride. Let's pray. Father, we want and desire to uh, yeah, to be talked about. Um, I don't know other way of saying it this morning. Um, I would love for us to be being talked about. But not being talked about because of the things of this world, but to be being talked about for our faith in Christ, for the ways that we love and the ways that we have are just resolute, steadfast in our hope. Father, I confess to you that the, the pounding of this world is many times just very unbearable. It is so difficult. But Father, I know that many of my brothers and sisters ahead of me have endured it faithfully, displayed love through it, have kept their hope in it. And Father, I ask in Jesus' name, would you do that in me? Would you do that in my brothers and sisters in this room? Because, Father, I know that you have a kingdom and a way that you want to usher into this world, and you desire your church to be the hands, the feet, the body of it. And so, Father, would you empower us to be faithful so that others will know the truth of Jesus Christ? And uh, so, Lord, as we respond now, would your spirit move as it did in Thessalonica with great conviction and power? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.